Hi everyone and welcome to the Beyond Being Well podcast, or should I say welcome back to the Beyond Being Well podcast, a podcast dedicated to mindfulness, yoga and women's empowerment. It's been a little while since I've released an episode and it's really nice to be sitting here about to introduce our guest um, for today. I have since had a baby and I spent the last uh, seven months with her just learning about her and learning about myself in that process Um, and it's been such an enriching experience but one that has tested me on so many levels and I had hesitated to get back involved with the podcast because it does take a lot of time to edit it and doing it all on my own but what I really found particularly in the first few months after my daughter was born was how much I missed having those deep, enriching conversations about personal growth with people. One of my highest values is around personal growth because I believe that it really has the potential to change the world and we do um, have the potential to change the world by looking inward and really learning a lot about ourselves and finding compassion. And suddenly in this newborn period, I was isolated from all of the previous outlets, my creative outlets, as well as those um, conversations. I was isolated from my tribe, uh, from you know the yoga community, because physically I couldn't do it. And um, I live in the country, so I didn't have my close friends around. And I've since made new mummy friends. But yeah, it was this really trying period and one of deep... Uh, introspection and and learning but I realized how important it is to continue sharing conversations with people like the guest we have on today because it's only through those conversations and through that dialogue that we have the tools and the know-how to do that introspection and to really learn about how the way that we work and the way that we see the world can have an exponentially large impact on the people around us and the communities we live in. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce today's guest, um, Christy Arbon, who is the founder and CEO of HeartWorks Training. She offers online and in-person mindfulness and self-compassion courses, predominantly for small groups of women. She's also the coordinator for Live Online Mindful Self-Compassion for the Centre for Mindful Self-Compassion, which was founded by Chris Germer and Chris Neff, who are the preeminent scholars on this issue. She teaches about mindfulness and self-compassion in the US, Canada, Australasia, um, and New Zealand. And her work is really grounded in mindful self-compassion, internal family systems, and Brené Brown's beautiful work on shame resilience. She also is a scholar of feminine archetypes and Buddhist philosophy. She's previously worked as a manager at the Bar Centre for Buddhist Studies in Massachusetts, and although she is Australian, originally from South Australia, she's currently living with her American husband in St. Louis, Missouri, in the US. I can't wait to share this episode with you. It's uh, so rich and so timely, and um, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your comments on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash beyond being well. And I would love you to subscribe on iTunes and give me a five-star rating so that I can continue to have these conversations and, and foster a dialogue around 
women's empowerment and mindfulness and well-being in a new light. So without further ado, here's the episode. Hey, Chrissy. Hey, how are you, Meg? I'm really well. I'm, I'm going well. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. I've just gotten back from the beach, so uh, feeling pretty happy about that. And you're in Missouri? I am. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, and we're pretty, we're pretty landlocked here. There's no beach, so it's a, it's a bit of a treat to get to the beach. Well, it's a bit of a treat to be talking to you and get the time zones happening as well. I think that sometimes that's the biggest challenge with the US and Australia. So thanks again for chatting with us today. Sure. So, Chrissy, I would love to hear, um, I've just introduced you and given your very impressive bio, but I'd love to hear in your words, I guess, how you came upon this path of, of teaching mindfulness and self-compassion um, and how you found yourself in Missouri and just a little bit about your journey. Sure, sure. Well, I guess um, I found myself in Missouri before I found mindfulness and self-compassion and that's a fairly short story really um i was living in the adelaide hills at uh, mylor and um my uh, husband-to-be was traveling in the area and uh, woofing that's willing workers on organic farms and he was uh working with some friends of mine just down the road and so i met him about 12 years ago and uh, came back to the States with him. So I've been here around about 12 years and his family are all in St. Louis. So that's, that's why we're here. <laughs> that's that story. Um, but we did, we did spend five years living up in Massachusetts near Boston. Um, and we both were living and working at a Buddhist study center. I was managing the study center and he was the facilities manager and so every so we had a um a pile of really wonderful teachers in the buddhist tradition come through and teach courses there and so every year this fella called uh, chris germa would come and teach a weekend course on mindfulness and self-compassion and I'd see this course come up on the, the schedule every year. And every year I'd think, that looks sort of interesting. Maybe I should go to that. And then every year the course would be starting over in the Dharma Hall, which would have been like a 30-second walk for me. And I could have gone there on work time, so I would have been paid to do this course. But every year I found myself sitting uh, at my computer tending to emails. <laughs> rather than doing this mindful self-compassion course. I'm, I'm a bit of a, I have a bit of an A-type personality, a bit of a perfectionist, perfectionist, pretty strong inner critic, and I do experience quite a lot of shame, um, become very familiar with shame. So that was part of why I was sitting trying to get through emails rather than going to this course. Anyway, so the, the fifth year that we were living and working there, um, I'd gotten myself into a, a bit of a dark place, um, as happens with perfectionists, with A-type personalities, people with inner critics, people in managerial roles. So gotten myself into a bit of a dark place. So I felt badly enough um, that I was motivated to go to this mindfulness and self-compassion weekend course. 
And I figured I would sit in the back of the hall um, because, you know, I was there and I was an employee and I would just sort of audit this course. Little did I know that um, I so badly needed the self-compassion piece in this mindful self-compassion course. I so badly needed it. When I heard Chris talking about being self-compassionate to ourselves and he started to unpack what that meant, what that might look like, and I found myself just sobbing in the back of the meditation hall, just listening to, um, I guess it was the, the contrast to how I had been treating myself. The way Chris was talking, it contrasted pretty starkly with how I'd beaten myself up, made myself work uh, longer than I really wanted to, uh, piled more things on my plate, and then held myself up to this ridiculous standard. So the contrast there was so powerful. Um, in the middle was this place of, I guess, grief at realizing I've not treated myself very well. Uh, even though I'm living and working in a Buddhist study center, you would think you'd have the best opportunity to uh, to take care of yourself there, but I wasn't. So that was sort of that. It was a real catalyst for me. Um, sat in the back of that meditation hall, and I cried through the whole course, just feeling what it felt like to start to open, sort of open the doors of my heart up to allow some kindness in mm. and so just cried just cried through that process and then I guess a bit like um, uh, that movie The Matrix once you've seen the reality of things even though it's unfamiliar and it's going to take some courage to continue to be there you can't really go back to deluding yourself you can't go back to um, that inner critic forcing yourself to do things you don't want to do holding up holding yourself up to these ridiculous standards. So pretty soon after that course, um, I got really involved in um, mindfulness and self-compassion. Um, I started to do some volunteer work with Chris Germer and Kristen Neff. They would travel around the, the country and teach, and I'd go and help them out as their assistant. I started doing some administrative work for them, um, eventually quit my job with the Buddhist uh, Study Centre and was working with Chris and Kristen on doing things like building a website, getting the word out about their courses. Um, as we started to grow the Centre for Mindful Self-Compassion, um, which has now been running for about four years and um, is it's sort of from proliferating mindful self-compassion the course mindful self-compassion is now taught um, in many countries in the world but it started off with just a, just a handful of people now there are over 700 teachers in the world teaching this one particular program and of course um, uh, people teaching mindfulness and self-compassion in all sorts of different um, uh, formats you know, mindful self-compassion is just one course but a lot of people are teaching self-compassion in other ways. Um, so, yeah, it's, it really heartens, heartens me to know that um, self-compassion training and learning and practice is really growing in, in the world. Um, I think, I think as, a, as a metaphor, me realising that I felt badly enough 
um, that I needed to go to that mindful self-compassion weekend course. I think I think we I think the world is feeling badly enough that we just as a culture as a people we want to stop beating up on ourselves. Mm. We find a, a different way to be with ourselves. So this is the right time for mindful self-compassion. I, I believe. I love that. I just you know so much resonance in your story with my story and with the women that I speak with and work with and it's um you know it's such a gift that that as you say there's an awakening to the need for this I guess if you're someone listening to this podcast and and maybe as you were sitting at your desk reading emails it's very easy to say but that doesn't apply to me I I don't beat myself up how like what are the kind of common symptoms or what are the common ways that that perfectionism and an a-type plays out and I guess what would be the precursor to someone realizing that self-compassion work is something that they might want to delve more into like what would they be seeing well I uh, things that I'd be looking out for are things like um addictive behavior and being addicted to your emails that is that is just as much a form of addiction as anything else that we might be addicted to. This sense that there is something I might go and do, but it's so easy to just chain myself to my desk or to my computer, I'm just going to continue to do that. And so getting into this autopilot thing of, um, you know, maybe I need to move my body or maybe I need to go and have a coffee with a friend or but no, I'm going to sit and stay at my computer. That's that's a that would be one sign that maybe we're um, we're we're cutting ourselves off from the things that nurture us, and and preferring to go to the things that we feel will give us a sense of of achievement. Mm. I guess, yeah. So uh, choosing a sense of achievement over a sense of connection and and nurturing that might be one sign that we're um we're ignoring we're ignoring the that compassionate peace that we need in our life and then you know i mentioned addiction any kind of behavior where we feel we need to numb ourselves to our experience and we may not even know what we're numbing ourselves against it might just be this compulsion to you know binge watch housewives or um, binge eat ice cream or or work too hard or drink too much or or eat too much or whatever it might be we, we we probably aren't even aware of what we're trying to avoid but we're doing these things because it feels like this is the best we can do to take care of ourselves and these things are you know they're skillful in their own way it is our system giving us a way to take care of ourselves. It does take the edge off in the short term, which, you know, I think that's skillful enough to recognize in the short term. We could give ourselves a break. It's like, this is the best I can do right now. Mm. But the bigger perspective is, um, how's that serving your long-term health? And, you know, once that, that pint of ice cream is, is finished, you know, half an hour later, um, you do you still feel good or do you need the next thing to make you feel good? So if there's a lack of sustainability in the things that we're doing to 
to so-called nurture ourselves, um, then that's a sign that there's sort of an there's an underlying sense of dis-ease and an underlying disconnection with our disconnection from our soul, disconnection from our sources of nourishment. Um, yeah, and and I'm sure I'm sure everyone is listening knows what that is they know what you know what that feels like when mm. things don't feel quite right and the only thing you can think of to do is to go and binge watch some television but there's something else there there's some some pain going on there that's not being tended to and this is what we can do in self-compassion work mindfulness and self-compassion learn to turn towards that sense of dis-ease or that discomfort that we're feeling um, because it's it's a part of us um, needing to be taken care of just like just like all children need to be taken care of we have these like little child parts inside of us mm-hmm. just needing our, our attention and our and and nurturing so this this is this is one of the great gifts I think of uh, mindfulness and self-compassion is being able to turn towards um that pain that we may not have, we may not have been able to turn towards for uh, for our whole life. It mm. took me like took me forty years really to start to do that. So uh, it could take 50, 60, 70 years for us to start to get the tools we need and the courage we need to turn towards ourselves um, and our difficult emotions. Uh, why do you think it is that? we find it so hard. I mean, particularly I'm thinking for women, what are the beliefs that we have attached to or embodied that make us so resistant to that compassion and that love and opening up to those feelings? What do you think is going on with that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think it gets back to um, stereotypes and cultural expectations. As women, we are expected to be the ones who give compassion, who give nurturing, who um, other people can rely on. You know, we're the ones who are there to sort of hold the family together and take care of children, take care of, you know, even the caregiving of elderly parents it usually falls on the women in the family to do that so we are we're expected to be these caregivers and one of the traps of um, how our culture identifies and stereotypes caregivers is that all the care should be going outwards Mm. the the care is not we're not encouraged to take care of ourselves um, because it's seen as being um, selfish or self-centered or narcissistic or um, it's just not what women caregivers, um, even healthcare providers, it's just not what those people do. It's sort of um, there's shame. There can mm. be shame involved in if I'm if I. It's mainly around if I'm not coping in my caregiving. Um, there can be shame involved because I should. I should be able to continuously give care. And if I can't, if I can't live up to that cultural stereotype, that expectation, um, then I'm, I'm a bad, you know, I'm a bad mother or I'm a bad healthcare provider, I'm a bad doctor, nurse, therapist, 
counsellor, teacher, whatever it might be. Um, these are all the sorts of professions where there are these cultural expectations that um, all the care goes outwards, basically, mm. I think. In my, in my humble, humble opinion. No, I think I think that's dead on, and I think that combined maybe with the, you know, the the patriarchal structures, the it's it's very easy to embody this idea that we're not worthy, or more to the point that we have to hold ourselves so tightly and so rigidly in case we take a misstep. You know, this perception that there's there's a wrong way to do things or a wrong way to live our lives and we're so terrified of of taking that wrong step that we think the answer is in holding ourselves and to account whereas we know what you're saying and I know the the work of mindfulness and self-compassion speaks to is actually allowing you to be just as you are and and recognizing your suffering just as it is without having to hold and be that rigid yeah, yeah, and it would be lovely if it was as easy as that. Is <laughs> easier said than done. I think what plays into it a lot, and um, I, I really, I, I really, um, I love what Brene Brown says about this sort of stuff around shame and cultural stereotypes. Um, it really takes for us to. Uh, we actually need to do a bit of work around this. To it's it's not a it's not. We don't have this intrinsic ability to unpack shame messages from our culture uh, we can't we can't stand outside of shame messages and look in and go well that doesn't make sense I'm going to stop doing that because mm. <laughs> shame, shame is so embedded in our psyche it's part of the fight flight freeze response the survival response so um, really hard to get a handle on shame I think I think as a culture and, and women in particular, and I know a lot of Brené's work is, is with women, is if we can understand the mechanisms of shame, um, have a look at these cultural messages, have a look at them from, from a distance. Like, does this even make sense? Does it make sense that mothers should be there um, with 100% of their attention, 100% of the time, and not take out time for themselves? Does that actually make any sense at all? And no one would say that makes sense. But shame, as I said, it's a, it, it, it's it's a imprinted in us, part of our biology. Um, so we really need to use our intellect a little bit, I think, and learn about shame, and then and start to question some of these. Um, they're not even assumptions. They're things that have we've sort of been brainwashed about this mm-hmm. stuff. And, and yeah, so reading, doing Brene Brown's work, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of her material. That, along with mindfulness and self-compassion, has been a big part of my um, learning and my, and my journey. Um, you know, Brene's changed changed my life in so many ways as well, and I think it's it's the the combination of using the intellect but then also having practices because self-compassion is a practice right are you able to speak to some of the some of the practices or more of the practical ways that I guess someone could start practicing this self-love and self-compassion yeah, yeah. So the the mindful self compassion program is a skills training program, 
Um, and what that suggests is we can learn to be self-compassionate and we can learn mindfulness. Um, even if compassion wasn't modelled for us um, as a child, you know, this is how we learn a lot of our ways of being with other people is is we, we, we learn from the modelling behaviour of the adults around us as children. Even if we didn't have those good role models as children, we still have the ability to learn self-compassion as an adult. And sort of the, the basis of, of a lot of self-compassion practices is tapping into the um, affiliative system, that tend and befriend system, which is, is the opposite to the, the sh what causes shame, the, the fight, flight, freeze system. So this tend and befriend system, we can tap into this as adults. We can offer ourselves physically, emotionally, um, words and, and ways of, of um, soothing ourselves that, that tap into our innate ability to receive nurturing from other people. So uh, just in, this, in the same way that we would nurture a, a baby or a child, you know, where we're, because we're, babies are so damn cute. We're just like, we're drawn to them. Like, I, I just want to keep this baby warm. I want to speak to it in a really um, gentle way. Um, and I want to I hold it close. Um, and I, I like to stroke its little arms, its little legs. You know, I just want to do all these nurturing things for this baby. We have the ability as an adult to feel that, that nurturing. And so a lot of self-compassion work is exactly that. It's based on um, keeping ourselves comfortable, keeping ourselves warm enough or cool enough or whatever it is that leads to our physical comfort. Speaking gently to ourselves, so gentle vocalizations. And then, um, and soothing touch. So even touching our body. Um, rubbing our, our upper arm or, uh, or tracing our fingertips in the palm of our hand. These things will all tap into that affiliative system, release oxytocin, opiates, sometimes dopamine into our system. And it, we all know the feeling of, it's, it's like when you get a, a, a full body hug from someone you really love. That's oxytocin and opiates. It's making you feel so good. We can do that for ourselves. So this is a lot of what self-compassion is about. So one of the practices, one of the really basic practices we can do is simply find a kind of soothing touch that works for us um, really, um, really nicely. That actually, and, and you can feel, when, once you tune, once you've learned to tune into your body, feel what oxytocin and opiates feels like in your system. And it's that tingling, that warmth, that sense of security, of comfort. Um, it's, it's associated with a lack of fear. So fear can't survive in the warm wash of oxytocin and opiates. Um, so with more practice, you actually can bring this on, this flood of chemicals into your system and you know what that feels like. So you know what to look for next time. So you can actually build this muscle of uh, pumping these happy chemicals into your system. That's such a nice explanation of it. I, I'm just sitting here smiling actually, just thinking it as you speak of 
all those really evocative things like receiving a hug and I know um, Kristen's you know, five-minute self-compassion break, it's just so beautiful when she says, um, you know, place your hand on your heart. And for me, that's my sign, you know, that it's okay. But as you say, for everyone, they will have their own distinct set of tools that's really unique to them. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I'd be happy to go through a, a quick little exercise to help people um, help women find a, a kind of soothing touch that works for them if you'd like to do that that'd be great let's do that and then um, and then we can wrap up and learn where to find out more about um, your work and yeah let's go for it all right so we'll do that and then should we do should we do that self-compassion break we can do that fairly quickly yeah like to. yeah right, great that sounds great okay so um, finding yourself in a comfortable position we always make sure that we're really comfortable before we start to do self-compassion work because part of self-compassion is making sure that you're comfortable and then closing your eyes maybe taking a few deep breaths just to help you land When trying placing your hand on some different parts of your body and I'll invite you to try a, diff a few different parts of your body and noticing what it feels like when you place your hand on, on each part of your body. So firstly, um, trying your hand on your heart, putting one hand over your heart wherever that is for you. Feeling the gentle pressure of your hand on your heart. Feeling the warmth, the contact between your hand and your body. Noticing how that feels for you. Putting, moving your hand down to your belly, putting a hand or two hands over your belly, once again noticing the gentle pressure, the warmth of your hands, allowing your body to relax as you do this. You might even like to rub your belly a little. Noticing how this feels. And now trying holding your own hand in whatever way feels right to you. Holding your own hand. You might like to try a few different positions of your hands. Noticing how that feels. Now our last soothing touch experiment. Placing 
a palm on each cheek. So you're cradling your face in the palms of your hands. Noticing how this feels for you. allowing your hands to drop down to somewhere comfortable. We're going to try the self-compassion break so you can keep your eyes closed if you like. So I invite you to bring to mind something in your life right now that is mildly distressing, not really distressing. We just want to have something that we can work with. So maybe, maybe something small has happened, like you forgot a meeting that you were meant to go to and you feel bad about missing the meeting. Or you forgot to get something from the grocery store, from the supermarket, and you feel bad for having missed that. You forgot a friend's birthday. You had an argument with your spouse maybe a child's unwell so something something that brings just enough feeling of distress in your body just a little bit so we can we have just enough to work with we don't want to go to something really big and notice how it feels in your body when you think about this thing that's distressing as you're noticing how you're feeling saying to yourself this is a moment of distress for me this hurts this is painful validating that pain for yourself ouch And then saying to yourself, distress and pain, it's a part of life. Everyone has challenges like this. Everyone feels like this. People I care about, people I'm close to, they have very similar feelings to me. I'm not alone in my sensation of feeling distressed. And then putting your hand on your heart or using one of the other soothing touches that we practiced earlier. Or maybe there's something, something else that you know is soothing for you, another way of placing your hand on your body. And with your hand in a soothing touch gesture, saying to yourself, may I be kind to myself in this moment? May I be tender toward myself? May I be patient and tolerant of myself? 
May I give myself what I need right now? Whatever you need right now, maybe you could offer that to yourself through a little wish. I wish for myself that I could feel some ease. I wish for myself that I could not beat myself up quite so much. I wish for myself that I would forgive myself. Releasing the practice, opening your eyes. This was the self-compassion break that we just did. Thanks, Christy. I'm so glad that we were able to share that. And just as you were doing it, I was doing it as well. And it is, it's such a, you know, there's such a physical, immediate physical effect that is so beautiful. I wonder whether you could just touch on before we finish that I guess in your experience the longer term effects of having a self-compassion practice and also I guess examining on the intellectual level the shame and and the stereotypes and all that stuff what 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 could one expect to to find on the other side of engaging in this work yeah, that's, that's a really important question. <laughs> we need to know what we what we can hope to to get from these practices. So uh, first, I'll just speak briefly to the shame. Um, knowing a lot about shame and knowing how to hold yourself whilst you're experiencing shame won't actually make shame go away. Um, as Brene Brown says. Um, while we long for connection with other people, we will always feel some shame. What does happen with practice is we learn to recognize shame more quickly. We, we're, we're, we're basically, we're less confused about what's going on. So we recognize what's happening more quickly and we tend to ourselves more quickly. We do what we need to do to hold ourselves in shame. Um, for me, it's often, or it's, it's a couple of things, speaking shame to someone I really trust, who I know can hold that with me. So speaking it to my husband, speaking it to a co-teacher, a mindful self-compassion co-teacher, even speaking, speaking it to a dear friend who I know, as I said, can hold this. That goes a long way. There's that common humanity aspect. I'm not alone in my shame experience. Everyone experiences shame. So just sharing sharing that with somebody else. Um, Self-compassion gives us the courage to do that. So, you know, shame by its very nature wants to be kept secret. Uh, we want to keep silent about shame. When we can find the courage and, and we find courage in self-compassion because Self-compassion helps us to not beat ourselves up when mm. we do something silly. Admitting to shame can potentially be something we might beat ourselves up about. So self-compassion gives us the courage to go ahead and do that 
knowing that it's better for our long-term mental health if we talk about shame than continue to, to stay in, in the silence. Um, so, yeah, this, that's where self-compassion helps with shame. And also it helps um, in... It, mindfulness and self-compassion help us to understand ourselves better. Mindfulness helps us to notice nuanced emotions and feelings in our body, to name them, to normalise them, to hold them in a sense of spaciousness. So this works for shame as well. When shame comes up in mindfulness, we know what's happening. We can give it a name. We can hold it. We can validate, yes, this is shame. There's nothing wrong with me because I'm feeling shame. Um, and then self-compassion um, allows us to ask that question, what do I need as I'm experiencing shame? For me, um, as I said, one of the things I need is to speak shame to somebody else. The other thing I might need is to just be alone in silence in a comfortable place for a period of time until that, that what Brene Brown calls the warm wash of shame, until that's washed through my body. Because shame doesn't last, it will wash through, it will, it peaks and then it'll gradually, you know, it has a, it has a sort of a half-life thing, it'll gradually fade away. Self-compassion gives me the time and the space to allow um, shame to, to move on and then eventually out of the place. So I think, I think self-compassion works really nicely with shame. And I think shame is our biggest difficult emotion that is causing the most harm in our culture. So I think if we can bring self-compassion to shame, um, that would it would radically change our culture. It would radically change our parenting, our caregiving, how women feel about themselves in relationships and in their work. So I, yeah, <laughs> if I could do one thing, it would be to teach everybody self-compassion in relation to their shame response. I love that. It's so, I had never thought about the two so intimately connected. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I guess in the longer term, if somebody's been more self-compassionate to themselves and we start to do that, would we see more, you know, cause I, cause I think people want to see that effect. Would, would there be expected to have more well-being and, and that ease that you talked about as well? In the long term, yes, yeah, and it can go in cycles. So mm. you know, it's not nothing is permanent. So uh, we might think we've dealt with one one difficult part of our psyche, and then we come around to it again. <laughs> what, why am I why am I binge eating again? I thought I dealt with this thing. It just it, we're just moving in in cycles. Um, in the long term, um, and research has has shown this, um, people who have high levels of self compassion they're more likely to do things like um, go to the doctor for their for an annual checkup, to eat well, to exercise more. Um, they're more compassionate in their intimate relationships, partly because um, they're better able to set boundaries um, because they're tuning into what they need and they're more able to um, apologise in a relationship because they know they won't beat themselves up when they have to, when they inevitably need to admit they've done something wrong. 
also has ramifications for relationships. It can help people to make better life decisions. You, um, is this job really working for me? Um, and I know I made some life decisions around work um, when I realised my work wasn't nourishing me in the way that I that I needed it. So it can help us to slow down and see our life and our decisions in a more um, intentional way. I'm not just I'm not just acting out of habit or out of expectation or out of cultural stereotypes. I'm actually tuning into how does it feel? How does this thing feel for me? Is this the right thing for me to do? And so we do that more and more with a self-compassion practice. We ask that question more and more. What do I need and how can I give that to myself? And so this happens, happens on really small levels, you know, around what do I need? Do I need a pint of ice cream or do I need an apple? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it might be, you know, those moment-to-moment decisions or it might be do I need to live in this particular place in the world because of the job opportunities or do I need to live somewhere else in the world because this place nourishes my soul so you know the decisions from the little ones to the big ones we always tap into this what do I need and how do I give this to myself and these inform our decisions so we just make better decisions for ourselves as as we go on with self-compassion we might realize there are some relationships that aren't serving us um, that our boundaries are being stepped over that we're being disrespected so we might actually let some relationships go we might let some some uh, work stuff go we might let some expectations go um, Mm. and stop stop beating ourselves up so much so it's a gradual process and we need to stick at it we need to continually practice but over time that old inner critic they're just not quite so loud after a while. Shame is not so confusing and debilitating. Um, we're not so confused because we're more in touch with what we need and, and our core values. So it just helps, it erodes away these difficult states of being, the shame, the uncomfortable stereotypes, the expectations, the perfectionism, all of that is, is sort of eroded away um, and what, what is revealed is a more authentic way of being. We get in touch with who we truly are, what our, what our soul's expression truly is, underneath all those layers of crap, basically. <laughs> it is. It is total crap. I love it. That's such a, that, is, that is a perfect note to end on because it's so motivating, you know. I always is reminded of the quote that you can't hate yourself into changing and and I, I believe self-compassion is, is the other path and the, as you say, the path to that kind of authentic expression and, and to love, which is underneath it all probably what a lot of us are missing and seeking. So that was a beautiful summary and I'm, I'm motivated to pick up my self-compassion practice again. So thank you. Lovely. I'm glad. <laughs> um, we need to and finish I, up. But no, please, if you've got something to add. I was just going to add you were talking about um, love. Mm. When we can give ourselves compassion and take care of ourselves, 
we are much more effective at taking care of other people Yes. because we're not looking to them to meet our unmet needs and we've filled up our own reservoir. We've taken care of ourselves. So we're, we're actually better in our caregiving relationships if we care for ourselves first. Absolutely. A, a timely reminder. Um, we need to finish. I could keep talking to you all day, Chrissy. I think there's, <laughs> I'll have to get you back on because I think there's this whole thing around the feminine archetypes that I'd love to go into with you, but we shall save it for another time. So tell That's us good. how we can get in touch with you. Um, I know you're coming to Australia next year. Where can we find you and, and, and what have you got coming up? Yeah, so I've got, um, I'm coming over in April 2017 doing a two-day um, workshop in Canberra with Marie Bloomfield and then coming to Melbourne for a one-day workshop with Tara Hickey in, in Melbourne. Um, but I realise, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky for people to get to courses, so I'm really focusing on doing a lot of online work um, so people can access practices and courses online so on my website heartworks.training so it's one word heartworks.training um, you can find my I have I run online retreats little mini three-hour retreats online that you can access um, from anywhere in the world um, I uh, I'm doing um, online MSC, online mindful self-compassion through the Centre for Mindful Self-Compassion and also I, I have a program to support people in their ongoing practice and that program's called Nourishing Practice so that's another online offering and next year, I'm glad you mentioned the archetypes thing, next year I plan to do a, a course bringing in feminine archetypes with and and um, mashing them up against not mashing them up they're too beautiful they're too beautiful <laughs> bringing them together with self compassion mm. shame resilience parts work um, that sort of thing so that's that's what I'm looking at doing next year and that will be online as well oh, that sounds absolutely beautiful thank you so much Chrissy for chatting with us today I think oh. there's so much in this um, for our listeners and. Yeah, I, I look forward to welcoming you back on the show and um, enjoy the winter that's coming. I will. I will. <laughs> As we're coming well, it's into been summer. lovely, lovely to be here, Meg. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I think women working together, networking, um, blending our skills and our offerings, um, that's the way to do it. That's Absolutely. going to save the world. Totally, totally agree. Um, okay. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Christy. Sure. Lovely to talk to you, mate. See Bye. ya.